0: the implementing the vision, and the scripture is Ephesians 3, verses 20 and 21, and I'll get to that in a minute. Some of you know Pastor James Holliday. Uh, James was a, a member of the church here. He's very instrumental in bringing Sandy and I to Wasimosa Baptist Church. He left us to accept a pastorate at First Baptist Church of Knightsville. But he recently posted something on Facebook, and some of you may have seen it, but it was a cute story. He was talking about the new pastor that had come into the, to the church and tried to get to know the people. He was going to try to visit the congregation, so he was out making visitations. He went up to this house, and it was obvious that somebody was home. The car was in the driveway. The lights were on in the house. He rang the doorbell, and nobody answered. So he waited a few minutes and he rang the doorbell and this time he knocked on the door a little bit more vigorously and still nobody answered. So he took out his business card and he wrote Revelations 3.20 on it and he stuck it in the door. After the Sunday morning service, he was finished up and one of the men that was counting the offering came to him and brought his card back to him. And on this time it had an additional verse, Genesis 3.10. Not remembering right quickly what Genesis 3.10 was, he started looking at it, and uh, he looked it up, and sure enough, as soon as he saw it, he started laughing. Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door at knock. Genesis 3.10 says, And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and hid myself. <laughs> pretty good reason not to answer the door <laughs> anyway let's stand if you would as we read the scripture ephesians 3:20 and 21 says now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. This verse has a special meaning for me. Um, As most, um, most of you know that I was involved in crusade ministry for about 37 years. And just recently when... A pastor asked me to, to bring the message today. We had breakfast one morning and he asked me what I was going to preach on. And I told him I was going to, the subject of the message was going to be implementing the vision, which I was taking off of his vision sermon that he had. And he said, well, what scripture are you going to use for that? And I said, Ephesians 640. He looked a little bit puzzled for a few minutes and he said, I need to see your Bible he said, my Bible doesn't have 40 verses in Ephesians 6. And I said, sure it does. Just take Ephesians 3.20 and double it. (laughs) And that's basically, a lot of us in Crusades used to do that because we saw what God would do and how God would work in various cities. And it was a real pleasure to me and a real eye-opening event to see time after time how God would work and how God would really come and answer the prayers of the people in, in the local congregations. You know, we used to be accused of being mass evangelism, and we used to try to tell everybody we're not mass evangelism, we're personal evangelism on a mass scale, because the evangelism that happened in the Billy Graham Crusades happened because people like you in churches all over the city that we were in cared enough about somebody to invite them to come and hear the gospel. That's personal evangelism. That's not mass evangelism. Over the years that I was with the association, I had the pleasure of living or working in all 50 states, all of the Canadian provinces, and 25 foreign countries. I've attended churches in every, city, every country, every state in the United States, and I see the difference from one section to another. Um, I've actually lived in 20, 21 different cities and 11 different states over the years. Sandy and I are approaching probably the longest time that we've lived in any one place since we've been married. So I expect her any day to come up and say, you know, we need to move. (laughs) But I've seen, during that period of time, I've seen God work in amazing ways in city after city. And in every one of those, the major factor to it was prayer. Prayer was the basis of everything that we did. Chronicles... Seven, uh, Second Chronicles 7.14 was a mainstay of our ministry. It says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their land. I'd like to see that become a mainstay of our church. If we would pray and seek God's face to see what he could do and how he could use us, in this community. The first one of the visions that Pastor put was prayer. Individual prayer, corporate prayer. It's vital in everything we do as we seek the Lord's blessing and guidance. And as we proceed into the year 2020, I'd like to see how God can use us as we turn to Him in prayer. Jeremiah 33, 3 tells us, Call on me and I will answer you and show you great and hidden things that you have not known. That's the ESV version. The King James Version says, Call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. As we call on him, he's going to answer and he's going to show us what he wants us to do. I firmly believe that the, pa- the pastor was relaying a vision from God and telling us what God was leading him for our church for this coming year. But I think as much as God has touched him with that, he's touched each and every one of you. With some version of that or some point where you can relate to the fact that he's talking about prayer being so important. How can we implement prayer more specifically in our daily lives? We can set aside a quiet time. Spend the time each day praying and reading God's word. Communicating with him. We talk to God through our prayers but God talks to us as we read scripture. You can read the same scripture verse year after year and it's going to mean something different to you because you're at a different stage in your life. Prayer is important. We should make the prayers our personally an important part of our daily routine recently joe johnson and i were having lunch and talking about something else and he mentioned to me that he had two people that he could always call on at any time and he knew that they would drop everything and pray for him for whatever the need he had at that time prayer warriors that were there to support him and he did the same thing for them i have two gentlemen in my life Uh, one of them lives in Montreat, North Carolina, and one of them lives in Nashville, Tennessee. But I know that any time that I've got a need, I can call on them. And I know that they're going to respond to what I'm asking them to pray for. And I know that if they call on me, I'm going to take the time to pray for them as well. And I would encourage each and every one of you to form that kind of relationship with somebody in your life, one or two people, that are prayer warriors, that will be with you, that you can call on at any time, that are going to be there to help you pray or to pray for whatever your situation that you're facing. It's extremely important that we have that. That's also a means of accountability. You know, how many times have you run into something and you've told somebody, sure, I'll pray for you, but do you? Do you remember it when the time comes? Do you remember to take and pray for that person? Have a prayer partner. Develop a prayer partner that you can use. God's still in the habit of answering prayers. In Crusades, I used to joke that that God had four answers to prayer. Yes, he grants whatever we want in a reasonable time. No, the object comes up pretty much that that's not going to happen. Maybe his answer is not now. It's going to be something that's fulfilled. Some blares down the line. And, of course, my favorite one is God just says, you've got to be kidding. <laughs> You're not really praying for that. But keep a record of your prayers. The, the gentleman that mentored me in the Billy Graham Association had a prayer journal, and he wrote down everything that he prayed for every day. And then he'd go back. When that prayer was filled, he'd write the date that it was, was filled. He prayed for one of our associates for over 10 years that he would find a wife. And it took about 11 years before Norm and Cheryl ended up getting married. And John, sure enough, picked out his, his, his prayer journal and said, I started praying for this 11 years ago, and he wrote the date that it was filled. Keep a prayer journal because it keeps you focused. It keeps you focused on where you are and what you're asking God for and when God answers it. We need to know when God answers our prayers. Let me use an illustration from Crusades that will show you the, the value of prayer. In 1994, I had just been assigned to the Director of Associate Evangelist Ministries, which I had to keep track of our four uh, Associate Evangelists that did Crusades similar to Mr. Graham, only in smaller cities. And Franklin Graham was just starting his evangelistic ministry at the time, and he was under the direction that I had to, to provide his crusades and, and provide the leadership for it. But at the same time, I had to move to Minneapolis because of that. But at the same time that that I was doing that, I had an additional assignment of working with local crusade cities that wanted to invite Mr. Graham to come. And that was usually about a year-long progress that we would go in and meet regularly trying to make sure that the invitation was covering all of the denominations, covering all of the areas of the city um, and all of the ethnic groups in the city and making sure that it was a combined invitation and it wasn't just one church. Well, because I was living in Minneapolis, they assigned me the, the responsibility of developing the crusade in Minneapolis in the Mr. Graham's a crusade that eventually took place in 1996 in Minneapolis. Everybody at the Minneapolis leadership, because Billy had been there several times before, and everybody when they found out that I had the assignment came to me and said, now look, Minneapolis is a really fractured city as far as the denominations are concerned. The pastors just don't play well together in the sandbox together. So remember that. And uh, the president of the association came to me and said, you know, they're going to want to go to the Metrodome, but it seats 66,000 people. I think you'd be far better to lead them to go to the Target Center of 22,000. So everybody was, was concerned about what was going to happen. Uh, Dr. David King, pastor of First Baptist Church, Minneapolis, his church was about as big as ours. Uh, his average age was in the mid-60s. Uh, it was a downtown church, church. You might as well say with that age group that it was dying, but David had a vision and he was the one that was leading the invitation and he and I worked together. For the first seven months, I was beginning to believe that exactly what everybody was telling me was true. It was difficult. We went through seven months with very few people coming to the same meeting, months in a row. But David and I both kept emphasizing to the pastors that did come, pray, pray. Get your people to start praying for God's will in the Twin Cities. Please pray. We use Second Chronicles 7.14 and just urge the pastors. Suddenly in the eighth month, things started to gel. We started seeing a commitment on the part of the pastors. We started seeing a togetherness. We started seeing a willingness to work together. And the crusade started to develop in a great way. We started to get really enthused that God was going to do something in the Twin Cities area. Sure enough, as we were getting closer to the time that the invitation was going to be, all of the paperwork and everything had been done, each crusade was organized independently. Each one was a separate 501c3 corporation. So we had to go through all of that. We were getting ready to go to Atlanta to offer the invitation to Mr. Graham. And sure enough... They wanted to go to the Metrodome. We had been given dates that Mr. Graham was available in August. We went to the Metrodome. Guess what? The Minneapolis twins or the yeah, the Minneapolis twin baseball team was out of town for the ten days that we were looking at needing the Metrodome for eight days. So the Metrodome was available. The pastors were excited and they decided that's what we want to do. So We took 11 of the leading pastors in in Minneapolis to Atlanta to offer the invitation. They presented it, told Mr. Graham they wanted to go to the Metrodome and that they had it reserved. As he always did, he thanked them very much. He appreciated their interest in the crusade and said, I will continue to pray and let you know in a few days that if God is leading me to accept the invitation. A couple days later, he gave me a call and I had previously the, about 5 years before that i had been working with him directly so he just called and he said what's your evaluation is this a good invitation and i said yes i see the i see the people praying every every crusade that i ever worked the first question billy ever asked us as we were getting close to the crusade is are the people praying because he really believed in it so he said well I'm going to take your recommendation, and I'll accept the invitation. Everybody in BGA headquarters was horrified that we were going to to the Metrodome because they were sure that it was going to embarrass Mr. Graham with it being half full. So the preparation was complete in about a year, and the first night of the crusade was a Wednesday. The Metrodome uses turnstiles, so there's no way to fake the count. The count on the opening Wednesday night was a little over 60,000 people. Thursday nights usually drop. Thursday night, we were at capacity of 66,000 plus. Friday night, there was 71,000 with 5,000 people watching on a jumbotron outside. Saturday night with youth night was 81,000 people with 15,000 people watching outside. And on the closing Sunday, there were 92,000 people. God answered prayers the response to the invitation was 14% it was a normal 6% higher than anything we'd ever done in that part of the country before God's in the purpose in the business of answering prayers and he can answer our prayers prayer works it's just not something we talk about In preparing for the message today, I found a prayer poem that I've had for over 40 years. And I prayed this poem for our church this week. And it says, I said a prayer for you today, and I know God must have heard. I felt the answer in my heart, although he spoke no word. I didn't ask for wealth or fame, I knew you wouldn't mind. I asked him to send treasures of far more lasting kind. I ask that he'd be near you at the start of each new day to grant you health and blessings and friends to share your way. I ask for happiness for you in all things great and small, but it was his loving care I prayed for most of all. I'd urge each of you to pray that prayer or a prayer similar to it for somebody that you know that doesn't know Jesus Christ. Just pray that God's going to be real in their life and God's going to meet their need on a daily basis. And I challenge you as I have for the 37 years that I was in the association, if you can pray that prayer on a daily basis and ignore that person, come back and tell me about it. Because if you pray that prayer sincerely, God's going to put that person in your life and give you the opportunity to establish a relationship and establish an opportunity to invite him to come and hear the gospel. Prayer is important and it works. Let me jump to the fifth goal in the pastor's vision, which is serving the needs of our community. The pastor has repeatedly told us that the number one reason people come to the church is because somebody invited them. And I don't think there's anybody that can dispute that, that the invitation is the most important thing. But there's a follow-up to it. The reason that they stay or the reason that they come back is because the church is meeting a need that they have in their life. Most of you I think probably know that we've recently lost some young couples in our church because they found a church that has a better youth program than we do. Pastor and I have been praying and and we feel definitely that one of the primary responsibilities that we have is to build our children's department. And I want you all to join in praying that we will be able to move forward to get a minister to youth, somebody that will come in and make our youth program what it needs to be. We are not committing the resources in our budgets to the youth program or the children's program that we should. And we need to do something about it. Let me give you a couple of examples of things that I've seen over the years of of churches that have made their youth programs really vital and they're not really these are not really expensive propositions that they do there's a church in Elk River Minnesota which is close to where Sandy and I lived and most churches or most houses and everything in Minnesota have basements so the check-in for Sunday school and the children's Sunday school is in the basement and the check-in is on the first floor Well, after the kids check in and everybody knows who's there and there's responsible who's going to pick them up and everything, then the kids take a big circular slide to get down to the the children's area. (laughs) They love it. The rooms are decorated. They're painted in kid-friendly colors, and they've got pictures that kids are like, and the kids enjoy going. There's a church in, in Austin, Texas that I was visiting after I'd been working with the pastor. He was part of an invitation committee. And I visited him one Sunday morning. And then after the service, he said, come, I want to show you something. And this was maybe 20, 25 minutes after he had finished his sermon. And we walked to the back part of the church, which, which is the children's area. And there I'm looking at a group of parents, maybe 150 to 200 of them, standing around on high-top tables, talking and visiting. And I asked him, what's going on? And he said, well, they're waiting for their kids to come out of Sunday school. Kids didn't want to leave. The Sunday school, was the check-in was such that they looked like they were boarding Noah's Ark. And they went back into the Sunday school room, which again was decorated in kid-friendly colors and, and setups. And the kids didn't want to come out. They were being taught God's Word in a way that made them excited about being there. We can do the same thing here. We can have that same kind of excitement with kids wanting to come. We had one of the greatest vacation Bible schools we've ever had last year, and we're hoping that we can duplicate it this year. But let's be prepared to take care of the kids afterwards. Let's be prepared to do what's necessary. We need to have a children's program that is kid friendly. Serving our communities and building our relationships. Jesus taught us a method that we can do that. We need to establish a contact. Find out some way that we can make contact with people. Cultivate them. After we've made contact, earn the right. Do something nice for them. Invite them out. Invite them to your home for dinner be consciously helping them in some way. Maybe they've got a project going on. Do something to earn the right. And last, share the gospel or at least have the opportunity or or earn the right to invite them to come to the church where they can hear the gospel. It's not our job to convince anybody that Jesus Christ is the way. Our job is simply to tell. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict them. And frankly, none of us are qualified to do His job. We need to let him do it. But we need to do our part, which is preparing them. We can do things. We can build those relationships in many ways. We've got one of the members of our church that she has a, a program that she does every Wednesday morning called Sit a Bit. She just invites friends, neighbors, to come in and just sit and visit. She's modeling the Christian life. She's not trying to push it down anybody's throat. She's modeling it, but she's earning the right that she can invite those people. Can you do the same thing? Could you do the same thing by inviting friends or neighbors? Or could you even get a couple of other church members just to join with you to pray for the needs of the church and the needs of your community? Anything that would give you an opportunity. I know there's been a lot of talk about the marriage tune-up conference as to we don't need it. Well, maybe we don't. But do you know that the statistics of marriages that have taken place probably in the last 10 years that 50% of them will end in divorce? Somebody needs it. We can be the conduit by inviting people to come with us to something that's going to help them prepare in their ministry and their life and make it a better life and make their marriage more secure and more sound. We've got that opportunity, folks. We just need to shake off what we don't think we need and think about the kingdom and what does the kingdom need. Pastor Norman has said on many, many times, this is not my church. This is not your church. It's God's church. And we need to keep that in mind. That this is God's church and we are the people of his church. I've got a a picture in my office at, at, at the home of Shamgar. I'm sure that probably most of you would have trouble wondering who Shamgar is because he's only mentioned in two verses in the Bible. Both of them in Judges. In Judges 3.31, it says, After him was Shamgar, the son of Anath, who killed 600 Philistines with an ox goad, and he also saved Israel. The painting was was drawn by one of my administrative assistants' husband, who is an artist. And it has Shamgar pictured with a a staff in the crock of his arm. And under it, it says, Shamgar. And then it says, took what he had, where he was, did what he could. Can each of us be Shamgars? Taking what we have, where we are and do what we can. If we do that, we'll fulfill God's mission for Wasmusaw Baptist Church. Pastor's given us five goals and the vision that God has given him for each of them making prayer a priority, reading God's word daily. He shared a Bible reading plan that you can use. He passed that out the morning of his, his message. But there are plenty of them out there that are available. Find one that you like and just be faithful with it. Share the gospel. Be ready to share what you believe and why. That's all you need to do. Make disciples. Help somebody with their journey with Christ. Get in a Bible study with somebody. Help them grow in the Lord in some way to become more Christ-like. And fifth, share the needs of the community. We're going to be constantly looking for methods that we can go in to reach the community and do things that are going to be there. Just remember, all things are possible with God. Let us believe His power. Philippians 416 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that means all things. Let me close with a quote from Vance Havner. He said, the early church had none of the things that we think are so essential for success today. Buildings, money, political influence, social status, and yet the church, won multitudes to Christ and saw many churches established throughout the Roman world. Why? Because the church had the power of the Holy Spirit energizing its ministry. They were people who who were ignited by the Spirit of God. My prayer is that Wasmissaw Baptist Church will be that church. That we'll put aside our personal ideas and our personal preferences and be responsive to what God is calling us to do in this community. He's put us in the middle of a thriving, growing community. I heard from somebody just recently that there's projected to be over 300,000 people in this area in the next little while. That's 300,000 people that need to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And I just pray that we're responsive to the opportunities and the needs that God has provided for us and willing to put aside what we think is best for us and look at what's best for God's kingdom and move. Just like the churches in Minneapolis did. Those churches put aside their personal preference and their personal desires to come together and to do something that was going to glorify God in that community. And believe me, The newspapers on the following Monday after the last day of the crusade were listing this fantastic number. It was wrong. They were much higher than the actual attendance. But they were heralding how many people responded to an evangelist in the Twin Cities. And the bottom line of all it is, they said, who would have ever thought that was possible in Minneapolis, St. Paul? God's in the habit of doing great things and great work and we just need to be available. He's not interested in our abilities. He's interested in our availability. Let us pray.